dewy fresh on the beat. Welcome to the All or Nothing podcast, where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game. And I'm your host, Rodrigo Malone. Now, I usually only have one guest on the show, but this week, I have two. I have the co-founders of Minted Cosmetics. Now, if you've never heard of Minted, I'll be the first to tell you that they're killing it right now. They have a line of beauty products that are selling fast. Their company's growing fast. And even though they've only been in business a few years, they're already changing the game. Let's welcome the founders of Minted Cosmetics, KJ Miller and Amanda Johnson. How are you ladies doing today? We're doing well. Thank you for having us. I'm glad to have you on the show. Now, Amanda, you have a unique background because you're one of the few people that went to school at one of the most prestigious historically black colleges in America, but also you went to one of the most prestigious Ivy League schools too. What were some of the biggest things that stand out going through those two different experiences? Um, Good question. So I think um, one of the kind of biggest lessons from going to Howard University was just really thinking through the diversity of black culture. So undergrad, I was exposed to so many black people within the diaspora from around the world, different countries, different languages were spoken, different socioeconomic classes, and really thinking about the diversity within that, how to celebrate that, how to um, really explore the complexity of it and to be appreciative of that experience. That was like overwhelming the theme of my undergraduate experience and I think that has better prepared me as a leader and someone to think about diversity through that lens today. And then in terms of going to Harvard Business School, I mean, you just have some of the best minds in the country coming together, thinking through big business problems. And I think that's another, you know, different lens of diversity of thought in terms of um, being in that environment where it just really pushes you to do more, think bigger, um, and be better. So both experiences have shaped me, but very much in different ways. KJ. Early on in your career, you gravitated towards the retail industry as a buyer and assistant buyer. And that's not common when you hear a female going into the retail industry. Usually it's as a designer, a decorator, something like that. Initially, what attracted you to the business side of retail? And once you got in it, how did you realize that you were good at it? Yeah, you know, I've always been attracted to consumers, consumer products. Um, and really thinking about what makes a product work and what makes a person into a brand, into a product, like what, what's driving that decision. So when I first got recruited to go work at Sears, I was brought in as an analyst, which was meant to be sort of a like problem-solving role where you switch from department to department. Um, and I quickly realized, you know, the people in this building who really understand retail are the buyers. They're the ones who have to deeply understand the customer, deeply understand what she wants, what she's willing to pay, you know, how often she's shopping, what's driving those decisions. And I just figured, look, if I'm going to work in retail, I want to know the most about the business as possible. And being a buyer is what allowed me to do that. So I quickly raised my hand and said, I don't want to be an analyst anymore. I want to be an assistant buyer. I want to learn this business from the ground up. And then I 
you know, went from assistant buyer to associate buyer to senior buyer when I moved to New York and um, worked my way up the ladder because all in service of this idea that there was really something um, exciting about learning from the consumer's perspective. Amanda, not everybody can survive on Wall Street, but you went in the trenches with some of the brightest people in business who also happen to be some of the most cutthroat people in business. After going through that, how did it affect how you viewed yourself as a businesswoman? Yeah, so um, I started my career in investment banking at Goldman Sachs um, in a group where I structured derivatives for municipal clients. And it very much is the environment of, you know, a lot of very smart, ambitious people who want to win and get to the top. not by any means necessary, but by a lot of means, I would say. And that shapes you. I mean, that was my first job out of college. So I was quite aggressive. I was, um, you know, always about winning and kind of being a perfectionist and, and modeling and what I, what I was doing. And I think it wasn't the entire reason I left, but part of me, which was, I felt so different at work than I felt in my personal life. And I really wanted to get to a point where I was in a work environment that where I could be myself. Um, I could be very team oriented, which that team, which the that environment uh, forces you to be, but in a way that I wanted to be. I wanted to be a good team member. I wanted to be a good leader. I wanted to be thoughtful and empathetic of people and, and um, take lifestyle into consideration. And so, you know, sometimes experiences are great because they show you what you don't want and better highlight for you who you are and, and what you stand for. And I think, um, being bold in that and saying, no, I will turn down something that is very lucrative um, in order to be in an environment where I can actually be myself uh, was a revelation I had pretty early on. After a couple years, you decided to switch lanes and focus on marketing. What attracted you to a position in marketing? Yeah, so what I love about marketing is I think there's this um, fallacy that it's all about um, feelings and creative thought, but really um, data and um, thoughtful customer strategies should should fuel your your overall marketing strategy. And so I loved the analytical side of banking. I absolutely loved that, but I also loved the consumer behavior, psychology of why people and how people purchase. And so those two things um, drove me into marketing. And I was in the consumer marketing group at Time Inc. for a couple years, um, where I worked on acquisition, retention marketing, as well as some digital content. And it was just excuse me, fascinating to see how we could use data and trends and customer behavior to drive the decisions that ultimately led to to purchase. And so it was just another way to use those same skills or similar skills that I was using in banking, but to drive a different result. KJ, you have a strong background when it comes to growing different brands and increasing profits for those brands. How do you go about identifying a product that has a lot of potential but it's being underutilized. Um, so I think back to when I first started working at a, an apparel company here in New York, and I recognized that one of our brands was our number three brand at the time. But every time I introduced a certain type of SKU, that SKU would jump to the top of my sales. So even though the brand wasn't my number one brand, I had SKUs in the brand that were really, really uh, performing. 
And for me, what that indicated was that this brand just wasn't doing a good enough job of curating the assortment, and I sort of had to do that work on their behalf. Um, so I think I, I get my indicators from data and also from um, having a deep understanding of who my consumer is, uh, depending on where I am at that moment. So, you know, here at Minted, we spend a lot of time thinking about who our consumer is, what she's into, her demographics, her age, her interests, her spend level. And then we put together sort of a profile based on that and we say, um, based on those things, like what really interests her and what are the gaps? And that's really how we identify and build our product roadmap here. Both of you are analysts starting out, which is a great foundation when it comes to learning how to analyze markets and see trends. What are some aspects in that role that you were able to take with you that you still use today? Sure, this is KJ. I, I think um, being able to uh, get comfortable with numbers and data is important really no matter what job you're in. Um, being able to synthesize data, understand it, and then manipulate it and, and uh, package it in a way that other people can understand it so that when you come to them you can say, this is why I think, this is what I think we should do and this is why. I think those are the skills that you tend to pick up as an analyst that carry you, you know, sort of no matter what you end up doing. Yeah, um, this is Amanda. I would agree on the data side, and I would say on the people side, I think every analyst has a story where there was this one manager who did this one thing this one time, and you know, you, know, you say to yourself, I'll never be like that. You know, like I think um, being an analyst is the ultimate in learning what type of manager you want to one day become because you really see it all, right? Like you see you're being managed by multiple people who are being managed by other people. You see the entire chain for really what it is from, from a very junior position and you can see, you know, what really motivates people. How do you train people? How do you um, onboard them? Um, how do you think about professional development? And I think those skills, um, both KJ and I really thought through those lessons when we were forming Minted and said, what kind of company do we want to create? What type of environment and culture and people development? And, and we very much have stories from when we were 22 first starting out and figuring it out. A few years ago, both of you ladies were moving up the corporate ladder and career-wise were in good positions. So what sparked the idea that made you think that the world needed more lipstick? Yeah, well, I mean, the world always needs more lipstick <laughs> always. As, as far as we're concerned. Um, you know, Amanda and I, we both uh, went to Harvard Business School. We graduated in 2014, and we became pretty close friends while we were there, and uh, both realized that we had this sort of shared love for all things retail and products related. Um, so by the time we graduated, we decided we wanted to um, work together in some capacity if we could, if the right idea ever came along. Um, so we graduated, I went to work in Deloitte's retail consulting practice, Amanda went to work at Barney's, um, but we would get together periodically and, and talk about different ideas. And during one of those conversations, Amanda mentioned to me she'd been looking for the perfect new lipstick for three years. And I immediately uh, could relate, you know, and I said, actually, I can't find any lipstick that works for me. Uh, nude or otherwise. And so I think that was the moment we both 
realized there's a real gap here. There's a real problem here. We are two professional women with money to spend on beauty who want to spend it on beauty, but who both feel like uh, there's no brand out there really speaking to them, um, not even for something as classic and timeless as an everyday lip color. So that was our aha moment, and from there, you know, we said if, if other brands aren't going to try and track, tackle this problem, let's be the ones to do it. Um, and and we did the legwork from there to eventually handcraft our original capsule collection of nude lip shades. And since then, we've been growing really rapidly. I think because women of color agree uh, that our brand and our mission is one that's necessary in the beauty industry. What's crazy about what you and your team is doing is that you found a large portion of the cosmetic industry that isn't getting a product that works for them. So can you break down what your team offers and who the target market is? Um, so this is Amanda. Yeah, I think what's interesting um, and certainly what we consider our advantage is that we are not only the owners of the company, we are absolutely the customers. And so we understand her and her need uh, like like none other. So um, we are truly targeting women of color, so black women, Hispanic women, Middle Eastern, South Asian. If you have melanin and have uh, ever felt left out of the beauty industry, we absolutely are targeting you and think that we are um, the home and voice for those women in beauty. So um, as KJ said, we offer a variety of products. We have new to neutral lipsticks, lip gloss, um, a nail collection, as well as a great eyeshadow palette that just launched. Um, all of our products are vegan, paraben-free, non-toxic, cruelty-free, and made in the U.S. because we firmly believe um, consumers are becoming more conscious, um, and beauty shouldn't be the thing that harms you. It should be the thing that enhances you. Um, and so we, you know, are very thoughtful when it comes to product development about the audience we serve and the products that we want to create um, and their thoughts and opinions and their demand as well as um, the type of benefits we want to offer in our products uh, go into the decision of what launches and, and what form that product takes. Funding is a part of business that every company has to think about when it's trying to grow and increase profits. The problem is, the process of finding a lender and getting approved currently sucks. So if you're looking for a way to get the funding you need quick and easy, you should check out Cabbage. Cabbage helps small business owners get funding within minutes. You can apply online or from your phone. The days of convincing a banker that loaning you money is a good investment is over. So don't wait. If you're looking to secure funding for your business today, I'm talking about in less than five minutes. Visit cabbage.com slash all or nothing. There's no cost to apply. And as an all or nothing listener, when you qualify for funding, you also get a $50 Visa gift card that you could use wherever you want. So go now to cabbage with a K, K-A-B-B-A-G-E dot com slash all or nothing. I just want to let you know that this line of credit is subject to credit approval. See the terms and conditions, all cabbage business loans are issued by the Celtic Bank, a Utah chartered industrial bank member of FDIC. The cosmetic industry is a crowded market. So what are some of the biggest challenges when it comes to separating yourself in the market and getting your target market to see you? Sure, this is KJ. I think um, 
the way we think about standing out in a crowded market is are we solving a problem and are we filling a gap? You know, we don't want to be a me too brand in the sense that what everyone, every trend, everyone else is chasing, we're also chasing it. Every product everyone's releasing, we're rushing to release it too. What we want to be is a brand that she turns to for her everyday beauty needs, that she really is turning to for staples. And so what we've created is exactly that. We didn't rush to jump on, you know, any sort of trend around eyebrows or holographic prismatic hologram glow or, you know, there's so many things going on in beauty right now and, and we love a good trend and a great beauty tutorial video, but the reality is most women, when they think about their everyday beauty routine, they're looking for gorgeous clean formulas, they're looking for pigmented products, they're looking for shades that enhance and complement their skin tones. And that's where we focus in a way that brands before us simply haven't done because they've been so focused on trends. So I think for us, filling those gaps and solving those problems will continue to be our guiding light and continue to be how we stand out in a, in a crowded market. You've had fast growth, and with that comes growing pains. What's your mindset when it comes to growing your business and putting out fires at the same time? Uh, good questions, Amanda. I think that's one of the daily challenges of being an entrepreneur. You want to grow, grow quickly, but there are things always happening constantly, new ba battles and, and challenges as you grow your business and grow your team. I would say a strength of ours um, is absolutely our co-founder relationship. Um, KJ and I, from day one, have been excited about this business, share the vision of this business, and we've been very thoughtful about our skill sets and experiences and how to tackle um, the different challenges within growing a business. And so having a co-founder who is on the same page and you're stronger together certainly makes it easier for these um, everyday battles, right? And so one person can be focused on one thing while the other one is focused on the other, but ultimately you're both responsible for pushing the business forward. And I think being very organized in how we approach our business relationship and certainly how we approach both buyers as well as overall strategy for the business um, and being constantly thoughtful about that as things continue to evolve um, is just, again, the kind of weekly, daily battle. So how we thought about fires and the magnitude of those fires last year um, versus this year, you know, it is by multiples uh, different and bigger and larger and more complex. And so I think it's one of those things that you just have to constantly check in and check in on and have a plan to move forward on how you're going to tackle these everyday, everyday challenges. Now, a lot of people think that they're good leaders, but you really don't know until you're in the hot seat and actually get a chance to lead others. In your opinion, what are some key things that need to be done in order to make sure that a team is executing at a high level? Yeah, um, this is KJ. I, I think there are a couple things. I think the first is um, trusting your people to do the work that you know they can do and that you've trained them to do. So I'll use, for example, our operations manager who joined us in December. Um, you know, in her first couple weeks, I spent a lot of time sitting with her, 
and training her on the various tasks and, and responsibilities. Um, and then I sort of let go, right? I sort of said, okay, this is up to you and, and I want you to run. And I think because I was, was willing to let go and let her run and not look over her shoulder every second and not, you know, pin her with questions every minute, I think because I wasn't trying to micromanage her, she was able to really breathe into that role, find her own strengths, um, and, and exceed my expectations. You know, so I think you do have to, some of it is about trusting, or a lot of it I think is about trusting your people, um, which of course you can only do if you hire the right people, but, uh, you know, hiring is a different topic altogether. Um, but I think if you hire the right people, trusting them to do the work that you've asked them to do is a huge part of, of them being able to grow and run, you know, because at the end of the day at a startup, everyone is sprinting all the time. This is not a walking culture. This is everything that needs to get done needed to get done yesterday. So people can only really sprint when they have the room to do that and, and they don't have the room to do it if you don't trust them. Um, so I think trusting your people is, is huge. There's a lot of companies out there that are losing good talent because they're being poorly managed. As a leader, what are some signs that should alert you to shake things up because what you're doing might not work for too much longer? Yeah, this is Amanda. I would say the number one sign is disinterest. So when people, um, you know, when they start off and they're a superstar and they're on time and they're ahead of the curve and they're always thinking two steps ahead and like, you know, mistakes are bound to happen with any employee, but that kind of early shine and um, exemplary behavior starts to fade when they'd rather be somewhere else when they don't really care to hear much more context beyond the task at hand. I think those are signs that a very thoughtful manager is aware of, like this person is no longer as invested in the business as they were in the beginning. And I think there are ways you can pull people back in, right, and re-engage them, whether it's really thinking through um, what are they good at, what do, I, what do they really like, can I give them more projects in that vein, you know, um, or maybe it's really time for a promotion because this person has proven themselves and, and that's why they're no longer disinterested, I would say, or, or no longer interested. I would say another good sign is, you know, maybe it's really that time for that person to have some professional development and start managing other people. Are, are there other um, uh, projects or tasks or people that make sense for them to manage to expand their own skill set? So I think there's a lot managers can do to really tune into what their employees need next to move forward but I think it's absolutely a two-way kind of communication street. And so making sure you have that weekly check-in, making sure you keep consistent and like actually doing it and not pushing it off. And, and those check-ins shouldn't just be about, um, you know, the task at hand for that week or month. It should also be a check-in with your employees to say, how are you feeling? Things are changing a lot. How did you react to this thing? Or did you like doing this task? Would you like to do more of it? And making sure you have a whole, healthy, happy person at work only benefits you as a manager to keep your team intact and to move forward. Social media has really changed the game when it comes to marketing and branding a company. What advice would you give someone who is struggling to convert new customers using social media? Um, yeah, well, I'll, I'll kick off this answer, but I think Amanda will, will have thoughts here too. Um, you know, I think the number one thing that really plays well in any social media setting is authenticity. And so I think the first thing I would say is to get really clear about 
what it is you're trying to accomplish and what your brand stands for, and then try to make sure that your social media maps to that. So I think one thing that we've done really well is showcase the fact that we are all about community. We are creating everyday beauty products for our community. And so if you look at our social media, you will see our community. We are constantly reposting our customers and our uh, Instagram faves and our products um, because that is what we want the world to know about our brand, that we are creating a brand for our community. Um, and so. I think authenticity is key. I also think, and Amanda will certainly touch on this, consistency is key. You know, people want to know if they're going to turn to you for content, that that content will continue to be pumped out. Um, no one wants to essentially walk into an empty room. They want to see a filled room. So it's got, you got to be consistent with it. Um, so I think those would be the two things I'd say. Amanda, you have thoughts? <laughs> no, I think that, that kills it, nails it. I mean, truly just defining your voice and being consistent with that and every touch point you have with the customer is the key to any good marketing strategy, whether that's social or email or otherwise. What I love about your company's culture is that you just launched a program called Mogul in the Making, where you provide training sessions that are geared towards women entrepreneurship. Can you break down what it is and who could benefit from the different sessions? Sure. We're just so shocked you know about that. I don't think we've said that to anyone. Like in, in the press, we've only told our, um, our partner schools. So that's hilarious, first of all, that you know that. You're just really out here doing this investigative journalism. Um, which is amazing. Um, so yes, Mobiles in the Making is a program Amanda and I started this uh, this year. Actually, we talked about it last year, and we were just so frazzled, you know, getting the company off the ground. It wasn't something we had the bandwidth to do. But this year, we really buckled down and uh, created the program. And the reason why we wanted to do it is because we love what entrepreneurship has done for the two of us. We love that it has given us the freedom um, to pursue our ideas and our thoughts and live our wildest dream. But we also love the way it's pushed us and challenged us. And we think there's real benefits to not just becoming an entrepreneur, but thinking like an entrepreneur and thinking through problems like an entrepreneur. And we wanted to give those skills to young women um, and at least get them sort of thinking about entrepreneurship as an opportunity. So we designed a workshop um, geared towards high school and college-aged women where we go in and we teach them all about the skills of entrepreneurship, very much with the goal, not necessarily of having every single one of them go and start their own business, but, but one, making it seem you know, real and tangible as an opportunity, and two, giving them entrepreneurial thinking skills, because those will help you sort of no matter what you do, the way you address problems and bring brainstorm um, solutions, things like that. So we're really passionate about it um, and we're excited to continue doing it. We will be um, at another school next Wednesday leading the program um, and several more to come. So yeah, uh, thanks for asking about that because we, yeah. we honestly <laughs> didn't know anyone even knew that we were out here doing it. So we appreciate that. Yeah, that's so funny. This was a great interview. You two did a great job tag teaming the questions and delivering your own unique perspective uh, to the questions. So I thank you for that. Is there anything else you want to tell our audience before you go? Um, I'll just make a 
plug fermented. You know, we are just so excited with what we're building. Not only obviously the brand and the community around it, but also our story. And we hope um, others are inspired by the story. Um, black men are the fastest growing group of, of entrepreneurs, and we think representation matters. So getting out there, telling our story, telling our beauty story, telling our founder story is important. Um, and anyone who'd like to follow along with us, they can join our email list or check us out on Instagram, Facebook, or MythicCosmetics.com. I want to thank Amanda Johnson and KJ Miller, the co-founders of Minted Cosmetics, for being on the show. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, make sure you follow the All or Nothing podcast on iTunes, the Podbean app, and our website, thecoolmedia.com. That's a wrap for this episode of All or Nothing, where we bring to you companies and CEOs that are changing the game. And I'm your host, Rodrigo Ballone.